0: Welcome back to the Disgusting Baseball Podcast. We are back after a pretty long layoff. Um, I'm sure you may have noticed that we've got different hosts here. My name is Matt Dallas. I'm one of the writers here at Covering the Corner, and I have with me Mr. Quincy Wheeler. Quincy, how you doing? Doing well, Matt. Good to good to be here. Cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself a little bit so that the people at home can get to know you.
1: All right. Well, I am a Cleveland Guardians baseball fan. Surprisingly, I started. Started uh, liking the team in '95. I my dad wasn't really into sports much, so I kind of discovered baseball around that point. And then I think '97 uh, was where I really fell in love with the team and baseball in general. And uh, lived and died with them, and of course, act, act, actually died at the end of that season with them. <laughs> so <laughs> since then, since then, I've just been following along and loving the team. And I like to write about them here and there, and and uh, and go after uh i I like to write about and talk about what's to come and so eventually i got into covering the corner and i would post on the website and the message board there and i got into twitter and talking to people there so now i write for covering the corner i have my own little podcast that i work with and i uh got a chance to be on here with matt so i got to know matt from twitter
0: and that's been great Fantastic. Well, yeah. So I'm sure, as many of you know, this podcast used to be affiliated directly with covering the corner. It was the official covering the corner, formerly Let's Go Tribe podcast. Um, even though we don't have that affiliation in a like literal capacity anymore, it's going to be kind of hard to to shake that, right? It's always going to be kind of inextricably linked with the uh, with the covering the corner website. So um, we're just going to kind of keep operating like, hey, they're they're very much related. So. Um, I wanted to, to kind of kick us off. You know, I I, I think if there's one thing that this offseason is gonna be about as a Cleveland Guardians fan, it's gonna be this managerial search, right? We've had Tito at the helm for the last ten years. The guy has become emblematic of what it means to be a Cleveland baseball fan over that time. Like I don't know if I can remember a manager truly representing what it meant to be that team for so long, um, at least in my lifetime, except maybe like Joe Torrey. Um But now that he's gone, that leaves a huge void to fill. Um, And there's been a number of rumors. I've heard as much as like somewhere like 50 candidates that were interviewing for the job. There's been a couple people that have, you know, kind of gone on the, hey, it's probably not going to be this guy list. And then there's been some people that are heating up. So, Quincy, what have you been hearing as far as uh, who some of the hot candidates are at the moment?
1: It's the point in the off season, Matt, where the best that I can have as far as the news goes is parsing through Paul Hoyne's articles. So that's how uh that's how desperate I am. And uh Paul recently said that Hoinesy said that uh Chris Vallake and John McDonald have are rumored to have been interviewed for the job. So Chris Valleka being currently the Guardians hitting coach and John McDonald being a defense and on-field coordinator for them. So those are about the only two names we know for sure. Um, besides earlier names that were rumored, Craig Albernez, bullpen uh, coach for the Giants and uh, Mendoza, the bench coach uh, across Mendoza, the bench coach for the Yankees. I think those are the only four, four names that we've been rumored. Hey, these guys
0: definitely interviewed. Yeah, we've got some, I mean, I know there were some like Will Venable rumors, and we'll get right. into those in a little bit, but, you know, and I primarily remember John McDonald as the guy who, when I was going to games as a kid, was just me being disappointed that he was in the lineup instead of Omar Vizquel <laughs> that day. Um, and also the guy,
1: I was just going to say the guy who uh, beat out the last out in the should have been perfect game from Galaraga, I think, right? No, that
0: was uh, That was Jason Donald.
1: Jason Donald. Oh, man. Huh. Anyway.
0: For all intents and purposes, the same player. Although, same although Johnny, Mac, Johnny Mac had a little more sauce than Jason ever did, but that's a that's another <laughs> conversation. For what that, are right?
1: the odds that Jason Donald would be the guy who did
0: that? I know, man. Just, gosh, at, at risk of diving into a 2009-2010 Cleveland Indians <laughs> rabbit hole. Gosh, Jason Donald, <laughs> but Cord Phelps, all those randos that we had back then cord. So. Gosh, love those guys anyway <laughs> uh getting back on track uh you know john mcdonald is, is just the guy that's just been around the game of baseball for a long time and it's it's just even as a player you knew he was someone that was gonna have his name crop up in managerial searches after he retired so uh, he seems kind of like a very humdrum kind of candidate the guy i want to talk about a bit because i feel like there's just so much conversation surrounding it is chris valeka You know, he's drawn the ire of a lot of Guardians fans over the course of the last year. And, you know, in many cases, rightfully so. I mean, our offense hasn't been great. That's the area that he's responsible for. So it's natural to assume that, you know, the offense is suffering because he must, you know, inherently be bad at his job. And then when you see that, that, you know, obviously follows into, well, therefore, he must not be a good potential manager. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that, being a manager and being a hitting coach are just two wildly different skill sets, right? Like the things that make you good at being a hitting coach aren't necessarily the things that make you good at being a manager, and vice versa. It's not like football where a lot of what being a, a position like a, like an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator translates well to being a head coach. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's obviously some some baggage that comes with him. So, so Quincy, what are your what are your thoughts on on Valleca's potential as a coach? Or a manager?
1: Yeah, I think you make some good points. We none of us know a lot about how these guys would function as a manager in terms of getting a clubhouse in cohesion, getting them through tough times, helping guys stay with it late in the year. Which I think, you know, when you think about Tito, what really is the best thing about Tito is that you never really had a worry about him losing the clubhouse. That guys would always give him their best. So. It's hard to say that a guy in a position coach spot is getting the chance to really show those qualities, so you just have to trust the front office is going to figure those things out. Man, it would be tough to sell to the fan base to say, we just had one of the worst offensive seasons in the history of the franchise, and we're going to make the hitting coach the manager. <laughs> I, I I don't know how many people would be that clued in to be upset about it. Certainly Twitter would be upset. You know, Message boards would be upset. Would the casual fan know much? I don't. I don't think so. But I wonder if they would. It it just wouldn't be a great look, even if you and I can look here and say, uh, "Yeah, it's it's probably fine," because he's probably a good guy who knows how to lead guy, lead players. And if he's able to do that, who cares, you know? So I you don't know. think
0: there's been at least one precursory conversation between Antonetti and the marketing department, if if that's a a direction yeah. they've thought about going. I, I think though this this is important because it leads into maybe a broader overarching question about the managerial search, which is like, what is it exactly that we should be looking for in our next manager? Right. You know, and, and I don't want this to turn into a let's just list all of our gripes with Tito over the last three years, because that's that's a really easy trap to fall into of like, don't do this the way Tito did it, you know, it is should be our priorities, but um, there should be kind of an approach to like what exactly it is that we're looking for when we're hiring this guy right so so if like for you Quincy what are you what are your priorities so to speak for who our next manager should be like what do you want them to be about
1: yeah i'm interested to hear what you would say to i i think that there are probably general things characteristics that We could say, I I think I'd like to see someone who knows, who who displays the ability to manage with a feel uh, to what guys are experiencing and, uh, you know, to, to manage with a feel of understanding what players go through and also with an eye to analytics, to what stats and numbers tell you and knows how to incorporate those things. You know, you think about, Famously, John Schneider of the Blue Jays taking out Berrios. Everybody's upset about that. And I don't know, maybe it was the right time to take Berrios out. But you do want to feel like your manager in that situation can know what the numbers say, but also have a sense of if your guy is dealing, if maybe it might just be time to see if he can give you another couple outs you want the manager who can handle that situation, and you trust him with it, and players trust him with it. Players know that they can trust him to have their backs, but also hold them accountable based on the information, best information that he's got on how to win baseball games. Somebody who's competitive, but also somebody who's kind. I <laughs> think those kind of things. That's one of the things I liked about Will Venables. I've, I've read a few articles from reporters who had relationships with him who talked about how kind he was, and then how good he was at leading conversations, leading efforts, being competitive, like he was a super competitive player. You can even see that just looking at his fangraphs page. So I liked that kind of idea. Hey, a young guy who knows what the stats are, but also relates very well to people and shows a career of of working extremely hard at everything he does. So I guess that's kind of what I think of. I think Tito showed a lot of those things. He was able to understand people and be kind, and he uh, he wasn't averse to numbers. Maybe he could be a little more numbers friendly than Tito was, uh, but had that career to back it up too,
0: for sure. And I think we sometimes give Tito a little too much blame for some of the analytics stuff. Like, let's not forget yeah. that the two organizations that have hired him in the, the you know successful stage of his career were the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Indians slash guardians with Theo Epstein and Chris Antonetti, who are two of the most analytics driven managers or general managers, you know, in the entire sport. And they both gave Tito their stamp of approval. Right. So Mm -hmm. there's probably something to be said that, Hey, we'll just build the analytics team and we just need a guy to grease the wheels. You know, that could very well have been the approach, but I don't know entirely that Tito was truly anti analytics as some of the more reactionary people on Twitter might say, as far he, as. I was just going to say, he
1: certainly, he certainly uh, displayed the actions of someone who understood analytics in the 2016 playoffs with the way that he handled relievers. And in fact, I would say in general, not that we have to go through Tito, but just to back up what you said, I would say in general that Tito understood bullpen use pretty well based on what the numbers would tell you to do.
0: For sure. You know, I think a lot of those situations, right, where we would blame him for bringing in Karen Jack were a lot of situations where a strikeout was necessary. Yep. And Karen Jack gave you the best chance of getting a strikeout relative to some of our more pitch to contact style of relievers. But again, saving from going down that rabbit hole, kind of what what I'm looking for in our next manager is is really two things. You know, obviously the first being an, an analytical approach to the game. You know, I, I do truly want to see somebody that takes that, like we're gonna lean heavily into our roster construction, our lineup decisions, those kinds of things being built around analytics. I don't necessarily mind as much of the in-game decision making being based around feel, as long as the pre-game decisions are based on what are we what are the numbers telling us, right? Like I don't mind, hey, let's leave the, the the starting pitcher in to face the first three batters the, the third or fourth time through the order when the guy's dealing, as long as, you know, hey, we're starting the better hitter, analytically speaking, over the guy that, you know, there's maybe like, really, we're not starting Miles Straw. Let, like, let's, let's break it down. That's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not starting Straw because he's good at cribbage.
0: Fair, exactly. <laughs> uh, on the flip side, too, I think one thing that sometimes gets lost in the myth making and the legend of of Tito is that he was a much better veterans manager than a young guy manager, mm-hmm. and and some of that gets lost because of the success of last season. Last season being twenty twenty two, but if you look, like there were like so many frustrations with how tito handled some of our young guys whereas he's very much a good like when now we have a veteran team manager and i think somebody somebody he's really good at keeping guys loose keeping guys bought in keep helping guys play up to their potential but maybe not always the best at teaching guys to acclimate themselves into the league well Mm -hmm. um you know i think a lot of guys have gotten off to slow starts as rookies um with the exception of maybe lindor You know, like a lot of those guys really kind of took a while to find their footing pretty common for players in general. But I think for me, a big priority would be somebody that has a teaching mindset. Right. We've got a young Mm -hmm. club. We really Mm do. Uh, Like we're still the youngest team in baseball Um, and somebody that has an approach geared around helping these young guys get into positions to succeed. Because, you know, we've got a ton of time and a ton of value tied up in these young players and assets, so to speak. Um, and I'd hate to see that go to waste because we try and chase a, a win now type of approach with our managerial hire. So that being the case, a guy that I keep coming back to um, now that Will Venables is gone, potentially, is Mike Napoli. Uh he's a guy that uh I've heard nothing but amazing things about and his ability to work with young players. Um I have some stories that I can't really share too much about, uh, but I just some stuff that I know about how Mike Napoli uh really helped Jason Kipnis find a a renewed sense of drive, we shall call it, uh, after he signed his contract that helped him have a big year in 2016. Um Jose and Lindor both credit Napoli with have, helping them, you know, develop the power aspect of their game, develop into into solid big leaguers. Um, and by all accounts, he seems to be a guy that is pretty analytically driven uh, from his time in the in the Cubs organization. So, I, I think he would be a really really good blend of baseball guy, like guy that gets it, guy that knows the player side of it with a guy that can blend the working with the front office on the analytics side of it. I think he would be someone that would really fit in well.
1: Yeah, I can't argue with that party at Napoli's. The whole experience of Napoli being here definitely would convince you if you uh, observe that he would probably be a good manager someday. And hey, I know that uh, the other day you were suggesting Austin Hedges as player manager. it's a very similar, similar vibe. I think, you know, like when yeah. those guys are around, the vibes are great and everybody knows you've got their back. And like I said, I think that's what I'm looking for is somebody who's got your back. So
0: for the record, the Austin Hedges player manager stuff was <laughs> very much tongue in cheek. I think uh, you should lead into
1: it. I, I, I don't, I don't see, we need to break the mold and, and change the game. I just, just picture with me though. You know, they carried a third catcher all year long. He could just be the player manager. And then Every now and then, when you need someone to just absolutely frame the heck out of stuff and get Emmanuel Classe through an important bottom of the ninth,
0: just bring him in for that. Yeah. And, and you know, I pointed it out on Twitter, and I think this bears repeating. <laughs> We've won two World Series in our franchise's history. And what did we have in common for both of those? Tris Speaker and Lou Boudreau were the managers, and they were both players. Now, were they infinitely Man. better players than Austin Hedges? You bet.
1: Hall you famous. bet. <laughs> Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. But yes, no, it, the the stats are clear. The stats are clear. Um, so yeah, just to won't wrap up this discussion a little bit. The other thing that Hoyne said is he he kind of hinted that maybe the Guardians are waiting for guys who are currently in the playoffs with their teams. And there's been some guys that have been like quietly rumored to be connected to them and guys who have gotten interviews in the past or been mentioned as guys who are next up for managerial roles. I know Hoynes himself mentioned Mike Kalitri, who's the uh, bench coach for the Phillies, and he has he used to be a scout for the Rays and also for the Guardians so uh, that might be a name to keep in mind. Certainly the Phillies have vibes out the wazoo. So
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: if you can bring some of that over. I'm not opposed. Uh, Joe Espada, the bench coach for the Astros. He's been rumored for a variety of roles. Uh, Troy Snicker, he's been rumored for a bunch of stuff out there. You know, he's the son of Brian Snicker, who's I think a great manager for the Braves, and he's the Astros hitting coach. I I'm kind of a fan of the idea of poaching some – brain talent from organizations like the Astros and uh, organizations like the Braves and the Dodgers. I know Clayton McAuliffe, um with the uh, Dodgers was also mentioned as somebody who had guardians connections that they might be looking at on the coaching staff there. And then uh, for the Rangers, of course, mentioned uh, Venable um, and he was supposedly taken off the table, but I know you'd said that, Hey, maybe, Maybe it's possible that he might just say, hey, put that to rest for now so we can focus on the playoffs. <laughs> and, you know,
0: Absolutely. I mean, Nick Saban once said, quote, I will not be the Alabama coach multiple <laughs> times in a press conference. And yeah.
1: Yeah, we know how God, I hard. wish it
0: was true. Yeah. Um,
1: and then I was just going to say that also, I don't I don't know if I see an obvious name on the Diamondbacks coaching staff, but Tory Lavolo has huge Cleveland connections. So I suppose anybody in his coaching tree could possibly be rumored to be connected.
0: Yeah. And look, here's the thing where, I mean, I think the last I counted the interview total was at like something like 48 was the mm-hmm. list of people that they were considering. So right. if there's a person who's considered like next up for a managerial job in baseball, I mean, there's only so many of those, right. They're probably on the list, right? Like yeah. it sounds like they're really doing their due diligence. It sounds like they really have a strong list of like, we're going to get, we're going to leave no stone unturned. And I, I'm fully confident. Like I know that there are some bad vibes surrounding like a couple of bad trades and a couple of like weird roster decisions, but I am fully confident in the decision-making process for Antonetti and Chernoff. I mean, they've they've truly been one of the best front offices in baseball over the last decade, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're probably going to get a pretty good candidate for this job.
1: I I completely agree, and and also I know uh, there were some people that were down in the mouth about Will Venable saying no theoretically. And uh, that, you know, there's not really a proven managerial candidate out there right now that's looking for the job here. And I just think that there are so many good names out there. There are so many good baseball guys that I, I think there's a variety of different options they could pick who will do well here. And I hope we're all ready to give them a chance and say, hey, Tito did a great job here. They obviously have a great culture going. Let's let this guy be the next guy up to help us go to new heights and do great things and yep, get these Absolutely. young guys together. Like a lot of the guys that I mentioned are guys in their 30s or 40s. And like you talked about with working with the young staff, that can help. I mean, it, it helps to have the experience, but it also helps to have somebody who maybe understands your generation a little bit better, maybe is bilingual. Those kind of things can help a lot.
0: So I'm, I'm just going to present one thing to you just one scenario to you before we move on. Josh Naylor hits a walk off of some kind <laughs> and Mike Napoli is walking out of the dugout to celebrate with him.
1: It's hard to imagine a better option really.
0: <laughs> right? All I'm saying is that that needs to be considered is you think you thought the headbutting with Tito was fun.
1: Uh agreed, agreed. I can yeah, I can't imagine that that would be great. I uh, yeah. Yep, so I got uh, to
0: credit Brian Hemminger for that one. But
1: And Tito, and Tito I, one of the things that I love Tito did this last year was his constant giving Tristan McKenzie the hoodie wedgie. Uh, you see that? <laughs> yes. I could see Mike Napoli doing that kind of thing, maybe like giving him a noogie or something. I could see that.
0: Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> <laughs> the other kind of big news right now uh, with the Guardians, for those that are in just absolute sicko mode baseball obsession is uh, a little thing called the Arizona Fall League. The, the Peoria, is it the, the Javelinas? Javelinas, yes. Ah, yes. Ah, my wife's a Spanish teacher. I should I have known to. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we got, uh, we got two players. Well, we got more than two players, but we got two players of, of consequence on that roster with uh, Kyle Manzardo and Chase DeLauder. Um, and both seem to be absolutely tearing the cover off the ball at every opportunity, I think they went back to back with 450 foot home runs the same game. And both balls were just absolutely destroyed. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I saw a swing like that all year in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they were a few and far between. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I,
0: it is hard not to get hyped about these two guys. And, and the big news for today being that uh, Keith Law dropped a scouting report on some of the afl stuff going on and he talked a little bit about manzardo and delauder um the reports for manzardo were absolutely glowing um but he did raise some question marks about delauder that i don't think are going to be surprising to anybody quincy you want to share a little bit about that
1: yeah and everybody can go on the athletic and and get a subscription there a lot of great baseball content and uh keith law it said that he had concerns about DeLotter's sawed-off swing and and the issues with some of his kick. You may have people may have read about DeLotter's scissor kick. About his, I don't trying to think about a good way to describe the swing besides sawed-off. It looks kind of like he stops mid-swing rather than following through a lot of times. But you know he's he's making a lot of hard contact still. Law said that he didn't see him make hard contact in the couple games that he saw him in. And, uh, I felt like that kind of let, let him that he let that filter what he was evaluating there a little bit more than maybe it should, because he could probably look and see at the box scores from, uh, at the, I don't know, on Twitter at the box scores to see the guys hitting the ball pretty hard. If you look at videos that are out there in general, but yeah, he had some concerns about if the swing was going to sap his power and, and and the effects that it would have so it was interesting to see
0: well here's the thing so chase the this year at across three levels of the minor leagues but primarily uh high a ball lake county hit 355 417 528 now stat line scouting isn't really the best thing to do especially at the lower levels of the minors but he only struck out 30 times in 57 games, despite the hard contact he was making. He had 22 doubles in 57 games. I mean, that is just bananas. Yeah. I mean, that's that's Tyler Freeman, Arizona, fall league level stuff. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah. There's no doubt if you look at his numbers that he's making hard contact. And if you just go search on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it nowadays, if you just search chase a in and videos, you'll see video after video of him absolutely destroying the baseball.
0: Right. The the long-term question with his swing is going to be whether or not he can consistently generate enough lift to, mm-hmm. to get to his power, but I have no question as to whether or not he's going to be able to consistently put the bat on the ball and put the thick part of the bat on the ball and drive it.
1: Yeah, I saw Mike Mahoney, our good friend Mike Mahoney, is, is a good follow on Twitter as well, but I saw him pointing out that Wallace's concerns about exit velocity kind of missed the issue with the ladder being more of his launch angle. And I thought that was a great point that it seems like that he has no trouble making hard contact. It's just getting it up in the air. That's the problem
0: for sure. And, and I think something that, you know, I've talked about at length has been the guardians borderline obsession with tapping into hitting the ball in the air and hitting it to the pole side. Now it's not Mm -hmm. something we were good at last year. No question about that. Um, but if you look at the year-to-year trends, most of our, our prospects, most of our, our top-end talent is really starting to tap into lifting the ball and then hitting it to the pole side. Um, so it, there's no question that that's going to be an approach that they start to take with DeLauder and trying him to do that. But it really brings up a broader question about player development with his swing, which is when you get a guy who's got kind of a quirk or kind of a unique aspect of, of their game how much do you try to change it at risk of maybe losing who they are in the process? Like he's found something that works for him. And in a game where not a lot of guys do find stuff that works, do you really risk trying to push too far into molding him into what you think he should look like at risk of losing who he is? Because at Quincy, we talked about a little bit before we went on air, Hunter Pence had a long career at the big league level. You know, yeah. he, did. <laughs> he had a truly non-traditional approach to hitting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's there's other guys. 100 Pencil is a great example of that. And there's other guys out there. I mean, I, when I was trying, I I think a while back I was asking people, can we think of people that had that sawed off approach? And there are a variety of guys who would stop their swing mid swing and, and they made it work for a long time. So, yeah, I think The old, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, definitely applies. But I I guess I think it's also fair to say, hey, this is something that's been a concern for other guys. So if we see some signs of trouble with launch angle or even exit velocity, that we should keep that in mind and maybe temper our expectations a bit and maybe think he might have to do some adjusting. Almost every hitter has to do some adjusting to make the bigs.
0: Absolutely. And A will be a big evaluation period for him and, and kind of getting to see what he does against some higher level pitching will be a great opportunity to really evaluate whether or not they'll need to make those kinds of changes. Not that the jump from Double A to the big leagues is nothing, but it starts to look a little bit more like Major League Baseball when you get to that level. So we'll get a sense for it this year, but for now, um, you know what, if we're wrong about Chase the Lotter, you realize no one's gonna come take away your fan card, right? Like we can get as hyped about him as we want. And if we're, if we're wrong, there is no punishment for it. So just let your hype run rampant because there's not a lot of things to be excited about <laughs> when other teams are playing baseball while you're stuck at home, so. You,
1: you and I share that perspective. I was having a conversation with someone about like, don't get your expectations high because then you won't have to deal with the disappointment. I have the opposite approach. I, there's no cost to me in hoping and expecting and dreaming. If it doesn't work out, I'll just find something else to hope and dream and expect about.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. Alex Clemmy will be here any day now. And that's I, right. I, I, that's I, right.
1: <laughs> I read a great article about him from you. So yeah, I, I, that's that's and, and plus we have Kyle Manzardo. And I'll also mention that Kyle Manzardo and Chase Delauder have been uh, giving us all kinds of great content uh, from funny pictures, stepbrother style to um, dual interviews that they've been doing with them where they just seem like they're they're bros who are having a great time out there.
0: Are we going to get Maguire and Sosa, but like good dudes? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, they they do. Seem Maguire like and it.
0: Sosa, Maguire and Canseco. My bad.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I think is well, going to happen. And Kyle Lanzardo, he has just a great mustache, I feel like a uh, young man who's like, I'm going to rock the mustache. I appreciate that. That takes some confidence.
0: I've uh, now this is, this is very second and third hand information, but I've talked to some people that have talked to him and apparently he is just like the most down to earth, good old boy you've ever met would much rather be at home. Zen in the upper lip and and just chilling than, than dealing with any of the like limelight kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a guy that Cleveland is going to fall in love with in a hurry. And I'm going to use, I'm gonna use a phrase that I don't use with prospects very much. I think he's bust proof. I really do.
1: Yeah, it's hard to look at his stats and not think that that there's a floor there. Really, the only thing with him is that he's pretty much stuck at first base. Uh that's really the only flaw in that whole profile, you know. So now
0: I did watch him at a Clippers game and he looks like a baby deer over there at first base. (laughs)
1: I know I saw the same thing. Although uh I no no offense to uh to this guy, but Bryce Ball, who is playing first base for Akron, that was probably the most adventurous first base I've ever seen played. So the it looked pretty great compared to that, but uh that's probably Fair not enough. a good line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a lot to get excited about with those two prospects, but I think there's something this offseason the bigger question is gonna be what are we doing to help the the major league roster in the immediate term right like it's very clear that with this pitching staff that we're in a window where we can contend if we just get the offense fixed so naturally everybody's talking all the time about trades and free agent signings and i thought it would be fun for each of us to kind of present like one trade idea and one free agent signing that we like and just kind of try and defend it a little bit so i'll let you go first quincy um, and so let's, what, what's your trade that you would make? Don't have to necessarily say who would give up just who you'd target.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to go with one that has been kind of an obvious choice for a lot of people. And I think I've been at the forefront of promoting for a while now, and that's assuming that the angels are going to take a little bit of a step back. I'd like to check into the availability of Taylor Ward. Ward had kind of a snake bitten twenty twenty three just like almost every angels player. poor guy got hit in the face with the baseball at the end of the year. still managed to have a one o seven w r c plus with a three thirty eight expected woba uh if anybody's you know kind of wondering about those numbers, hundred for w r c plus is average. 338 woba expected woba i mean it just means that your your number the numbers said that you were a good hitter and the expected numbers uh back that up so um he has hit left-handed pitching very well for his whole career and uh is only sorry i just want to check here make sure i'm right in my memory he's gonna turn 30 here in another couple months so you know on the not in the mid 30s yet uh he would also be available for the guardians for a few years he's not a free agent until uh, 2027 so the fall of 2026 is when he'll become a free agent uh for he's hit left-handers at a 118 wrc plus for his whole career he also is pretty playable in the corners uh, you know because i don't want to just completely abandon the idea of defense (laughs) with these guys He's been a little below average in right field and above average in left field. So if you get that guy, you're probably, again, thinking about putting Quan in center, which I'd like to see them try. So I I think the team needs some right-handed pop. They need an outfielder. They need somebody who can handle left-handers pretty uh, regularly. And I think Ward's a pretty good hitter who's going to have a couple more good years left in him. So that's, and should be available at not a huge cost. So that's my first choice.
0: Yeah. I think Ward would be a good fit. You know, obviously being a guy that that hits left-handed pitching pretty well, that's a, that's a need that we have. It's a, it's a need that seems like we've had for about 10 years now, Um, Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so and we've, I, we've been gombered one too many times.
1: <laughs> I think, and I, just my last thing about Ward. I think in his case, you kind of dream on his twenty twenty two when he had a hundred played one hundred thirty five games, put up three point nine wins above replacement, one hundred thirty seven WRC plus twenty three homers. I think you dream on. Hey, if he can give you a year like that, either next year or the year after, you'd feel pretty darn good about making the trade that it would take to get him
0: for sure. And and look, I'm not going to – me bringing this trade up doesn't imply that I would be against acquiring Taylor Ward because I think he would be a huge help. Um, but rather than Ward, I think the guy that I've been looking at is Austin Hayes. Now, he's a guy that we talked about a bunch uh, as a potential deadline acquisition, um, and which very quickly devolved into, well, what if we could just get one of their like prospect guys instead from the Orioles? But I think Hayes is someone that would be a really good fit and represent a temporary solution to a, a problem that we have the ability to solve long-term with guys like DeLauder coming in. Um, but But Hayes, to me, is a guy that has been fairly consistent over the course of his career. Now, he had a big year this year, and I'm not trading for him off the idea that he's going to recreate what he was in the first half of 2023. But if you look at his 2021 and 2022 season, um, he was pretty consistently a 105, 107 OPS plus kind of guy, right? Above average and better against lefties than he is against righties while not being, or sorry, better against, yeah, better against lefties Mm -hmm. than he is against righties while not being a complete disaster against right-handed pitching. Yeah,
1: just to briefly share there, 114 WRC plus against left-handed pitching for his career and right around average against uh right handed pitching.
0: Yep. A guy that would slot in super well guy that, um, you know, has a little bit of a different profile um, offensively than maybe some of the guys that we have. He, he, he's got a little bit of swing and miss to his game. Um, but he's got a little bit of pop in there too. I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, put up fifty six fifty sixty 50, 60 extra base hits um, a couple times. Uh, actually it looks more like 55 at his peak. Um, he's a guy that can hit some home runs, can hit the ball pretty hard, can pull the ball to the left to inside pretty well, or to the left field side pretty well. Um, and a guy that plays solid defense, maybe not gold glove caliber, but solid. Uh, he can move a little bit, not, not really a base stealer, but he can move a little bit. Um, and he's a guy that is just now entering his first year of arbitration. He's a guy that is going to be here till, um, after the 2026 season. Um, so we'd be able to have him for three years. Um, and he's a guy that we could probably like is so consistent that he'll hold his value and we can probably move him towards the end. If, if we've got some guys that are ready, uh, at the lower levels of the, or that, you know, that are currently in the lower levels of the minors, um, guy that also, you know, to be honest, I, I picked him up and out of the park baseball a couple years ago and he would routinely turn into a 30, 30, 300 hitter for me. So I've got a little bit of a soft spot for him, but I think he's a guy that would fit in really well.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's kind of interesting. His uh, difference between his defensive runs saved and his uh, outs above average and left is marked. (laughs) He's over his career. He's got 18 defensive runs saved. And negative six outs above average in left field, so wow, you don't usually see that much of a disparity there um but yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty clearly a competent outfielder and an above average hitter i uh i I do think that we're probably gonna be a little bit thin on the options for huge upgrades in the outfield position. So getting somebody who you can rely on to be in that 110 WRC plus range and is gonna hit left-handed pitching pretty well and will be able to handle a glove without too much problem, that might be about as good as you can go. And like you were kind of pointing out, the Orioles should be willing to trade an outfielder. Whether or not they can match up with the Guardians might be a question, but um, it's a question worth asking.
0: Absolutely. Um, the other guy I I do want to throw out there because he's gotten some attention, um, from in the guardian circles is Dylan Carlson. Mm -hmm. Um, a guy that is functionally useless against right-handed pitching, uh, but has put up consistently pretty high, uh, OPS pluses against left-handed pitching over the course of his career. Um, I think he's a career, actually, I can't find it on, on baseball reference, but he's a, he's, um been solid against lefties he's a career 306 377 472 hitter against uh against left-handed pitching and he's a guy that's a switch hitter that can't hit against righties which kind of begs the question of maybe he's a guy that you could talk into what if we just hit right-handed all the time Um, and
1: i I just wanted to chime in right here because i know i've done some work on this the other interesting thing about carlson is that he hit right-handed pitching very well in the minor leagues so I do wonder only because he ha- he's only 24 years old and his at-bats against right-handed pitching in the majors are still under a 1,000, which I know sounds like a lot, but isn't truly that many. I wonder if there might be a little bit more there than what he's shown.
0: The, and honestly, playing in a place where I feel like he's clearly felt unwanted for about the mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't deny the impact that has on a guy's psyche. And we're right. talking about a guy who is, a consensus top 10 prospect in the entire sport um, Mm -hmm. who plays well above average defense in center field Um, could be worth taking a flyer on. He's under team control through 2027. I don't think he'd take a lot to get. The Cardinals are clearly out on him. Might be a good guy to pick up.
1: If you look at 2021, that's what the season to dream on for him. 111 WRC plus 2.5 wins above replacement, 18 homers, 172 isolated power. um, Yeah, that'd be a pretty good season, especially because he looks like somebody who might be able to hack it in center field. Um, He's got above average numbers there defensively. So yeah, I'm not opposed to that idea. I, I, I do think especially if it's somebody that you could get at a good value that that's a guy to go after. Cause it is possible that I know we're about to talk a little bit about free agents. I think it would be possible to maybe pull off a Carlson deal and then maybe sign a guy who's got a little more slugging potential and do both of those things. And then all of a sudden you're looking at having guys like Valera, Johnny Rodriguez and Kenzie Noel, and even Will Brennan as depth instead of guys that you're relying on to come through for you.
0: For sure. And I think the thing that, that is important to note is with the the lone exception of Juan Soto, there aren't a lot of like splashy trades that mm-hmm. are even really out there at the yep. moment for outfielders. Um, and then as far as free agency, the guy that I was going to mention, who's probably the biggest outfielder on the market right now is, is Cody Bellinger, which obviously brings with it the question of, can we afford him? And do you trust him to repeat his campaign, both Questions that my answer is I don't know. um But he's a guy that certainly moves the needle in the free agency discussion, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about? I know that there's some questions about his expected numbers from 20, 2023 that he had a 370 weighted on base average and a 331 expected weight on base average, a little bit of a high batting average on balls in play of 319. So People are, I know there's people out there that are like, he's probably not quite as good a hitter as he was.
0: Um, a couple of things to point out. Um, d- d- There's some change in the approach that that's pretty evident, right? Like, you know, in 2022, he struck out 150 times in 144 games. You know, in 2021, he struck out 94 times in 95 games in 2023. He only struck out 87 times in 130 games. Now I know games isn't, Mm -hmm. isn't a truly like leveled out metric, Um, but that's fine. (laughs) But he cut his K rate pretty drastically. Right. And his K rate looks far more in line with what it did when he won the MVP award as a 23 year old in 2019. Hmm um so that is an encouraging sign to say the least now he's not walking nearly as much but he also isn't nearly the threat that he used to be so he's probably not getting pitched around as much but the power is back the hot the ability to just take over a team for a month is back and you know what i like i know Babip is is something that can be hard to sustain when you get up into the high levels of it but there's also something to be said for when you hit the ball hard good things happen and mm-hmm. he seemed like he was hitting the ball really hard during that hot stretch that he had. Um, he started to look like the player of old. He stole 20 bags this year, still plays solid defense. Um, yeah, he's he a guy play that is center I... field. What?
1: He can play center field still he can
0: play some center field still. So, you know, again, is he a guy that's going to probably regress a little bit? Yeah, you bet. Of course he will. But is a slight regression from what he was last year still an excellent player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think you've defended it well, and I would expect, you know, for people that are kinda trying to think about what we need, if you go by WRC Plus, my goal is to have somebody, at least one new guy who you can think of as a 120 WRC Plus or better. And I'm trying to think about how to describe that, you know, in terms of OPS, if you take uh, on base and slugging together. You're probably looking at a 335, 340 guy um, for, you know, on base and then somewhere in the 400, 400, I mean, 450 to 500 level for slugging. I think he's that kind of guy. I think that he's for sure going to be that kind of guy. So, um, yeah, I think that makes sense. It would be exciting if the Guardians were playing in that end of the free agent pool. If they were that deep in the free agent pool, that would be pretty exciting. He's only 28 years old. So, if they were ever to spend some real money in free agency, that's the kind of player they should spend it on.
0: Yeah, and I think he'd be a good candidate for something similar to what we did with Josh Bell, um but in a little bit more of an extreme sense where Bellinger's the kind of guy where with his pedigree and his name too, being a guy that's won an MVP award. If he were to go out and prove it one more year and hit free agency next year, he could be a guy that's looking at being a $250, $275 million player, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, So maybe selling him on one of those opt-out type of deals where we get him for next year as a pseudo rental with the security of a second or third year if he maybe falls on his face a little bit. I have no problem giving him the money he's going to ask for. My question mark would be the length that it might take to get him.
1: I'm sure that'll be the case for the Guardians, too, honestly. I think they would probably be in on a short-term deal. And I think the question is, because of the lack of depth in the free agent market, if there might be a team out there that's really willing to spend a good bit to say, we think he is basically who he was in 2023, and he's under 30, so we're going to give him a six- to seven-year deal. Because if that happens, then the Guardians aren't going to do that.
0: Right, which you got to bring bring into account the fact that he's likely going to be the consolation prize for whoever misses out on the potential Juan Soto sweep, sweepstakes.
1: And also whoever misses out on the Shohei Otani sweepstakes for sure. too. Yep. So it probably I don't think he's going to sign until probably early January, so we won't know for sure. But if they're in on him, I'd be excited. My free agent guide... And I know people have mentioned him before, but I'll throw to Oscar Hernandez out there. I think he'd probably be available on a one-year deal. Maybe, like you said, like a Josh Bell deal where you say there's an opt-in on it. Um, and again, not super exciting. He didn't have the greatest year this year. It was a down year for him, a 105 WRC+. Plus, but his expected WOBA says he was probably better than what he ended up being. So just listen though, to these last three years for Teoscar Hernandez, 2020, 2021, 2022, 142 WRC plus, 132 WRC plus, 130 WRC plus. Now he now is 31. So it's possible that maybe he's hit some sort of aging cliff and he's not gonna be quite that player anymore. But the one thing that he can still consistently do is hit left-handed pitching. He has a hundred, had hundred twenty WRC plus against left-handed pitching this year, and for his career, it's somewhere closer to one forty. Yeah, one thirty six WRC plus. He's got an eight
0: ninety OPS for his career against, against left-handed, left-handed pitching. That's
1: pitching. Yes, so that that figures nicely. He's gonna hit left-handed pitching. I know that he's, uh, and I've heard from several people that he's very good friends with Jose Ramirez which again, though, I'm not sure who isn't a good friend with Jose Ramirez if you're from the Dominican Republic, especially, but almost from anywhere everybody likes Jose. But that's something to consider. Um, He's not a good defender. And I think I'd be safe to say that Teoscar Hernandez is actually a DH, (laughs) but he was slightly above average in right field this past year in Seattle. So I think it's probably a place you're okay playing with him especially if you have a good defensive replacement available um and i think the guardians would have that miles so yeah yeah miles straw or even will brennan if he's that fourth outfielder miles Straw's the fifth outfielder you got multiple options that would work in there so yeah i i think a one-year deal for tasker hernandez wouldn't be the most exciting thing ever, but would be a good upgrade and then gives you the chance to let guys like Johnny Rodriguez and Kenzie Noel continue to develop at their own pace. As far as those like right handed slugger bats that you're kind of dreaming on. And maybe one of those two makes takes a big step and looks like they're ready and they can help at the end of the year and then take over next year. And that would be the dream.
0: I I am 100% on board with that. Don't forget outfield defense is certainly important but the Phillies have played Nick Castellanos in right field at times. (laughs) You know, we, we made the playoffs with 83 games of Oscar Gonzalez playing in right field. Yeah. You know, like it's important, but you know, you give up two runs on a bad defensive play and then you score three on a long drive to left field and all is, all is forgiven.
1: Nick Castellanos is also a great one to bring up because I love how he's like, it's the playoffs. I'm actually going to play defense now Uh, because I do think that, that that is the case for sometimes guys are like, Hey, I really got to focus on this aspect of my game that I don't spend a ton of time on. And they tend to play a little bit better defense in the playoffs, kind of similar to some of these Phillies relievers. Like they got so many guys that can throw the absolute heck out of the ball, but don't always know where it's going. But I think you, I I'd have to, of course, do some statistical analysis, but I do think that relievers that throw hard tend to fare pretty well in the playoffs because everything just speeds up so much on hitters in those situations. And I think they may be in a little bit more on getting a few more strikes across. So I think it's a similar kind of thing. So I think if you can get your team to the playoffs, Teoscar Hernandez is a good guy to have.
0: I could be convinced of that. Well, Quincy, I think we're hitting kind of the end of our, our time here uh, for this week's episode of the podcast. I did want to highlight a couple things going on uh, with the Covering the Corner uh, website, uh, some cool new stuff. One we've, we've picked up somewhere in the realm of like five or six new writers uh, in the last couple weeks. So be on the lookout for all kinds of new stuff from them. Um, Quincy, you had an excellent article today about uh, Trevor Steffen and, and perhaps, quote unquote, fixing him. Uh, a little bit for next year? Do you want to just touch on that really quickly?
1: Sure. Yeah. If anybody's worried about Trevor Stephan, you can read the article and see me get worried about it too. (laughs) But then also uh, say, hey, he's the kind of guy who's shown the ability to to make adjustments and to learn new things. So I think we can give him a mulligan on 2023 and hope for him to fix some of the issues he's had with velocity and mainly slider shape and movement. Uh, that seemed to need to take place for him to get back to closer to who he was in 2022.
0: For sure. And then we've also been running a series uh, that all of our writers have been participating in um, where we've been, uh, it's been 75 years since uh, Cleveland last won a world series. So we've been counting down each season since we last won. I think we're up to the 1951 season. Um, So every weekday there's a new article talking about a season. Um, uh, Tomorrow's going to be 1952 and uh, Friday, Thursday, it'll be 53, Friday, 54, so on and so forth. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really fun trip down memory lane, getting into some of the the fun things. Like we recently learned that... Uh, Larry Doby's presence was enough to get three young Negro leaguers to sign with us if we had offered them contracts but bad scouting reports said we wouldn't sign them uh, and it turns out that those players were Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks, and Willie Mays um, so Dang a little bit of a miscue <laughs> by, <laughs> by General Manager Hank Greenberg on that one.
1: Just signing even one of those guys just would like to Could know Could you imagine that all three on. of them
0: in a lineup going up against those Yankees well, teams?
1: We're about to, on Friday we're going to cover 1954. Imagine if Willie Mays was in that Cleveland on the Indians lineup. Just keeping them off
0: the Giants. (laughs) They might have won a World Series. Yeah. Um, And then uh, as far as future for the podcast, uh, we're just excited to be back with this, honestly, and and having this as we're going to be doing fairly regularly. I think we're shooting for once or twice a month uh, during the offseason or just kind of as news becomes available. Uh, The Minor League Podcast will still be continuing. Uh, but that's kind of brings us to the most important part, which is hosting. Um, you know, given that we've got so many new writers, we figured it'd be a great opportunity to give everybody uh, more chances to be involved in the podcast. Um, you know, I know Matt Schlichting is is going to be stepping away from uh, the Around the Corner podcast, so we're going to be rotating hosts all the time for everything. You might be seeing me on the Around the Corner podcast. You might be seeing Brian host this one. You might be hearing voices you've never heard before. Um, but we're going to be given uh, a chance to get as many new voices as possible, uh, Quincy being uh, the primary one. It'll be mostly me and him hosting this, uh, occasionally with a third and occasionally rotating. But we'll be kind of the flagship hosts with uh, with some some changes intermixed through there. Uh, Quincy, do you have anything to add before we wrap up?
1: No, yeah, that's great. I, I just I echo what you said about checking out, coming around the corner and the new riders we have. Just... A lot of really good new voices to listen to and learn from and join the conversation.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining me, Quincy. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time.